It's good to hear you singing this morning and worship. Uh, I miss being here. Thank you for the opportunity to be away for a little bit. We got to see our son and uh, Alex in Portugal and got to see some new places, got to, to meet a new pastor missionary and see his work on the field and just uh, spend some time together. It was good, and so thank you. But we miss being here. Uh, being in a church that honors the Lord, where people love each other, um, where God's Holy Spirit is present and active, where the Word is centered, where Jesus is proclaimed, and that is that is fuel and food for your soul. It feeds your soul, and so I'm grateful for you. Uh, our prayer time this morning at 8 o'clock, we gather every Sunday morning at 8 in the sanctuary for prayer was just, just again, it was, it was food for the soul, and I, and I hope you'll join us, and uh, I hope you never take for granted the gathering together of God's people. You know, I know we, we use those phrases sometimes. They can be a little bit confusing, and sometimes they're a bit trite. Uh, we don't go to church. We are the church, and, and to the degree that that's true, it is true. But it's not all there is to the subject. Um, there's something unique about God's people gathered together. It's not the place, but we need a place to gather. And so I'm thankful for the place that we have. But there's a specialness. There's a uniqueness. Um, there's something only God does when God's people are together. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm glad, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we can be here together and worship. We've been talking about this idea, more than an idea. I want it to be much more than an idea much more than a, a concept or a philosophy that we'll kick around and discuss. I want it to be our DNA. I want it very much to be who we are in increasing measure. And it's the idea of being an everyday missionary. What does it mean to be an everyday missionary? You know, I think about what would you or I do if we were in another place, in another culture somewhere. You know, as Charles was leading that prayer time for the Sheikh Muslims of India, I remember one specific instance when I was in the marketplace with an interpreter and I was talking with a little shop, he wasn't little, he was big, his shop was little. I was talking with a shopkeeper there in the marketplace in, in Pune in India. And I remember he said something that just really humbled me and convicted me at the same time. He said I was the first Christian he'd ever met. First Christian he'd ever talked to. I mean, we don't think like that very often, I guess, around us, because we don't know people like that. We don't encounter many people like that who've never met a Christian. He'd never met one. So when we pray for an unreached, unengaged people group, that's the kind of people we're praying for. Um, they don't know the good news. They have not heard it. Um, what they know of God is just concepts and ideas that are just fanciful sometimes. They're so far from the truth that they're not, they're not reality. We've got to be engaging people with the gospel. And that's, that's our theme for today. What does it mean to be engaging? And uh, as soon as I can, I'm going to get my notes up. This is technical problems we're having here. After you've been away for a little bit, it feels like you're getting back on the saddle. Here's what we're talking about. First, our first value, we say that really we want to define us, the value of community. That we are a family. That this is real community. You can find something here that you can't find in the world. This is different than just people who look alike or think alike or want the same things. It's people who are united by something amazing, something that unites people where nothing else could, something that unites people who would otherwise never be united. It's the good news of Christ and the Holy Spirit that we share in real community. How do we fuel, how do we feed this missional value of community? Well, it's simple. We do it by gathering by not abandoning each other, by coming together and worship together, by being in smaller groups where we can know each other and be known, uh, by connecting in real relationships where there's accountability, where there's encouragement, where there's strength in things like our D groups. So community fed by gathering. Then the second week, we talked about the missional value of maturity. It's the biblical norm. 
And it's clear, and the scriptures are replete with these statements of spiritual maturity that we should be growing up into the fullness of him who is the head, that is Christ. That's biblical normalcy, that we should grow up, that we should become like Jesus. And one of the many reasons that we're still here on this earth and not transferred immediately to heaven upon our salvation is God's preparing us for heaven. He's maturing us. Well, how do we feed the missional value of community? By the habits of growing. Growing is a habit. It's the things that we choose to do that help us to grow. Whereas physical growth can take place just naturally, it just happens over time, spiritual growth does not. Time alone grows no one. It's training that grows people. So if we're going to train ourselves to grow, there are specific habits that we need to do. Things like our own Bible study, sitting under the Word, being taught by others, sharing the good news. So many different habits we talked about. Maturity comes about through habits of growth. Last week, you heard about the missional value of generosity or hospitality. Not just giving an offering, though, thank God that we are generous, we are generous uh, materially. I was just looking at the bulletin. I've, you know, I've been gone this past week, and I didn't realize that we had blown the doors off our Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal. About a week and a half ago, we were down low, and about two weeks ago, I told Charles, I said, I guess we're not going to make it this year. And I was a little bit discouraged by it. And now, all of a sudden, we've given more than we've ever given in the history of Calvary towards IMB towards our Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes. So praise God for that generosity, right? So somebody got amen on that? So, As Charles expressed just in a microcosm, just one example of that, that is fueling real gospel work. I mean, real stuff here. That's putting missionaries' feet on the ground. That's giving them the resources that they need. That's keeping them in the field in hard places. And so you're part of that. But, but generosity and hospitality is more than just putting an offering in the plate. It's more than just commissioning someone and sending somebody else out and paying the way. Those are valuable and necessary steps. It's you giving yourself. It's you sharing yourself for the sake of others. It's you opening up your home. It's you giving your time. It's you inviting someone else into your world. Are you involving yourself in them? It's opening up your life to them. How is that fueled? Giving. Giving. What would God have me to give? My time. My attention my resources, my home, whatever it may be. And today, our habit is engaging, developing the habit of engaging. Now, when I say engaging, I want you to make a note. So for those of you who are school teachers in the room or English teachers particularly, I'm not talking about engaging as an adjective, okay? I'm not talking about your personality type. I'm not talking about how you can become more likable. I'm not talking today about how to sand off the rough edges around you and your personality. Those are separate subjects necessary um, at times. We need to be engaging people. We need to be that sort of people that people want to be around. I'm talking about uh, an intransitive verb of engaging, to connect with people intentionally. Here's the definition of engaging or an idea of engaging. If you engage with something or with someone or a group of people, then you get involved intentionally with that subject or that group or that people until you feel a connection with them. So when I say engaging, it's something that takes effort. How do we do engaging, and what's the missional value that fuels engaging? It's intentionality. Intentionality. I have to want to connect with others. I have to make efforts to connect with others. I have to plan it. I have to choose to do it. I have to hold myself accountable to it, being intentional. So here's the idea. As everyday missionaries, the whole point is that we would be engaging the people around us. 
we would be intentionally looking for opportunities to connect with them. Just like we would do if we were in one of those five cities of the Muslim belt through central India where 20-some million Sheikh Muslims live. We would intentionally be figuring out ways. How do we connect with them? How can we have a conversation with them? How can we share a meal with them? How can we have a cup of, cup of coffee or there a cup of, a cup of chai tea with them? What can we do to intentionally engage them? Here's some things we ought to be doing. You ought to be. We ought to be. I ought to be. We ought to be going on mission trips. Um, COVID kind of sidelined us from that. We had some goals in 2020 that we we're going to send a vast number of people on a vast number of trips, and God said otherwise. But we're starting to re-engage those trips. We've got a couple scheduled already. You ought to be looking at your schedule and seeing if there's an opportunity for you to go on a short-term mission trip. Some of them are brief, maybe a long weekend. Some of them are a little more extensive, a little more challenging, but there's something for all of us. We should go on mission trips. We should, on occasion, speak to strangers, knock on doors, tell someone that God loves them, that God offers a plan for their reconciliation to do what 2 Corinthians 5 says, be reconciled to God, and here's how you can be. We ought to do that occasionally. We ought to, on the regular, be engaging with people in our own circles of influence, people we go to school with, people that we live nearby, the people we work with all the time, people whose path we're crossing all the time, uh, the boards that we sit on, the teams that we coach or our kids play for, wherever God has placed us in those regular routines of life, we ought to be engaging those around us. We ought to invite people to our homes. We ought to meet people for lunch or take people out for a coffee. We ought to invite someone to go fishing with us or go play golf with us or go throw hatchets with us or whatever it is that you do and whatever it is you enjoy and wherever it is you're around people. But do it with gospel intentionality. Who could I spend some time with today that God will give an opportunity and scripturally an open door that I could speak about Jesus to, that I could talk about the things that I sang about today? who Jesus is to me, and why I love him so much, and what makes him so good to me. Looking for those opportunities all the time. We need to do it, these routines of life, these normal circles of life, with gospel intentionality, engaging. So our missional value today, intentionality. I'm going to choose to do this. I'm going to be thinking about it. I'm going to have the mindset of doing this, and the steps of engaging. Why intentionality, by the way? Why use that phrase? And I don't want to zero in on this just for a second, Okay. Why intentionality as a missional value? When intentionality is the necessary antidote to the way our lives are typically right now. I mean, think about yours, okay? So just, just be real. Do Put a lens on your own life, your own routines, your regular Monday through Friday thing. Why intentionality? Because of your typical busyness. I mean, how many of you feel just busy? You're just busy all the time. If you're writing out your life on a piece of paper, you're all over the margins. You've got no space left for anything. When you're challenged to do something or a new opportunity comes along, for many of us, you know what that means is something's got to give if something's going to be added. In our, in our typical busyness, we need intentionality or we won't do it. What about our unintentional selfishness? That's true, right? When we're maybe unintentional about it, but we are rather selfish. We go about our routine, doing our thing. We don't want to be interrupted. For most of us, we prefer someone not knock on our door unexpectedly. We prefer to be left alone so we can get things done that we need to do. We're thinking about us. We're thinking about what we want to accomplish today and what we want to enjoy today and, and where we're going today and what we're about today, and we're selfish. For many of us, we have natural shyness. I mean, it's just not our bent. When I start talking about sharing the gospel with someone, 
already we feel this uh, little bit of tension. Either we're shutting the conversation down, you're shutting out what I'm saying already, or you're feeling this tension and this disconnect because you know, it's just not me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a natural at that. I'm really introverted, or it's hard for me to talk to people. So we have this natural shyness. And sometimes it's just a casual, a casual indifference. We're just not thinking about it. We're not thinking like missionaries. So when we're out there, and we're walking around, or we're at the store, or we're at the mall, or we're in the ball field, or we're hanging out with people, whatever it may be. We don't have that mindset so often of thinking about, I wonder where these people are going to spend eternity. I wonder how many of these people know Christ. And even some of the people that we may just assume do, or assume know, really, really don't. You know, Cecilia and I were in, in the Azores where Alex is playing, and one of the days we took a tour, and our tour guide was touring us through some places, and one of the places we visited was a church, a church built in the 16th century. I mean, a beautiful but simple old church. As we're walking through there, uh, the guy and I were having a conversation because um, Alex had told him that I was a pastor, so it just sort of begged some conversation. It was an open door. And so we started talking about the differences between what Roman Catholics believe and what we believe. Now, our guide was a professed Christian Roman Catholic, at least according to his Facebook page, which I saw later. But he, for one, didn't really understand what Roman Catholics believe. He knew he was one. He was baptized into the church when he was very young. He'd received communion, first communion at some age. I don't think he was a church attender by any means, but like most there in the country, over 90%, they're nominal Catholics. But I began to share with him the differences. It's not just the differences in the way we tell the stories, he said at first. I said, no, no, it's more than that. He said, well, you just tell the story different. I said, no, it's more than that. The difference is justification. How is a person made right with God? Or in the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, how are you reconciled to God? How will you be reconciled? The church can't reconcile you. That wafer, that Eucharist wafer cannot reconcile you. That priest cannot reconcile you. That statement, that mantra cannot reconcile you. Only God's grace, because of faith alone, in Christ alone, can, rec- can reconcile you to God. Only grace through faith can one be reconciled. How does that happen? What do these symbols mean? So we begin to talk about reconciliation. It's the essence of the gospel. We have to be intentional about those opportunities. So here's the premise. I'm trying to build a case for you, okay? So I'm trying to lay this out logically. So for those of you who like to think in lists and statements, this will help you because this is the way I think. Here's the premise. I believe this. I believe that God has placed you where you are, so put it in the first person, God has placed me where I am so that I can be his ambassador. God has placed you wherever you are so that you can be his ambassador. I mean, that's the verse that you heard today. That's part of the passage that Dave read just a moment ago. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. What is the appeal that God makes through us? We represent God on this earth. He is king over everything. We get to be the ambassadors of the king. We get to speak of the glories of God. We get to speak of the promise of heaven. We get to speak of eternal life. We get to speak of joy and love and peace and hope. We get to represent God in this world. What is the message that we convey to represent him? Be reconciled to God. Because for all eternity, you will either regret not being reconciled to God or you will joyfully celebrate being reconciled to God. You will either be in perpetual horror at being distanced from God 
judged by God, disconnected from God, or you will be in perpetual joy that you're at peace with God, that you're right with God, that you're reconciled to God. It's the ultimate message. You know, I was thinking of how to convey this idea, this idea of you and I are ambassadors for Christ, and maybe this is a poor analogy, and I can be guilty of those sometimes, but pardon me in advance. Start thinking about this. You look around in the room. Go ahead, I give you permission to say it. Look around in the room, okay? You ever wonder as you gather in a place like this, who has the most important job in the room? I mean, whose job is the most important? Because I think there's something intrinsic to all of us that we want to live lives with meaning. We want to feel like what we do, um, the life that we have, has value, that it contributes to something, that we're not nothings. In, in fact, I would say the evidence suggests that when people feel like their jobs don't matter, they don't do them very well. Would you agree with that? You know, if, if I don't feel like my job contributes to anything and no one really cares and you're not going to notice if I do it or not, if I'm the guy, and this is just freshness on my mind because I spent uh, all my birthday yesterday in airports, um, if I'm the guy who's responsible for cleaning the bathrooms at the airports, now I know there's that little thing on the wall where you come out and you can press the button of, you know, did this experience make me happy or indifferent or sad? You know, I don't know how many people press that button. I don't press things unnecessarily in airport bathrooms. I don't know what kind of feedback they get from that, but judging by the state of bathrooms, mostly JFK, which was the worst I encountered, um, that guy doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what's on the floor. He doesn't care what it looks like in there. Probably doesn't feel like every day as he gets up and gathers his mop and his bucket and his cart that what he's doing is changing the world, right? So who has the most important job in here? Is it the policeman who keeps us safe? Is it the firefighter who protects our property? Is it the teacher who teaches us? Is it the doctor who cares for us or the nurse who takes care of us? Is it the person who works at the power station and makes sure that we have electricity and heat this morning? I mean, who, who is it? Is it the guy who preaches the, the sermon? I know the answer to the question, by the way, and this is quite a simple setup. The most important job in the room is the person who takes seriously the calling of God to be his ambassador. There's not a more important job in the world than to be an ambassador of God. And so really, everything else is secondary to that. So it doesn't matter if you're the guy who cleans the bathrooms or the guy who builds the building that the bathroom's in. It doesn't matter if you're a captain of industry or a teacher of the young or a mom who homeschools her kids. The most important job in the world is to represent Christ, to be an ambassador of Christ. We've all got an incredible job. Now, I want to come back to that premise just for a second, so take a look at your notes. I said this. And this is my caveat. This is the one you put an asterisk by. Because what I said, I want to give a condition to. I want to qualify it just for a moment. And I don't tend to like to qualify propositional statements. The propositional statement is this. You are God's ambassador where you are. Where God has placed you, God wants you to represent him. I believe that's absolutely true. Unless. Unless God right now is moving you to the place where he wants you to represent him, where he wants you to be his ambassador, where he wants to use you. Now hear me out just for a second, okay? This is a, this is a brief excursus from the main point of the message, but it's critical. Here's something I became very convicted by the last few weeks. I have, we have as a church, churches like us have been guilty of this. We have undersold, and we're seeing the results of it, we have undersold the challenge that ought to be coming from people like me that God might be calling someone like you, someone sitting here this morning, to go somewhere else for the sake of the gospel. And, and I'm sorry we haven't done enough of that. I'm sorry we haven't given that challenge enough. But there's some people sitting in this room that I have to wonder, is God not calling you 
to take your family, or if you're single, to go yourself, and to go someplace else for the sake of the gospel. Maybe it's for a week, maybe it's for three months, maybe it's for two years, maybe it's for a lifetime. Maybe it's to plant a church, maybe it's to join a church planter with your family and build up the body there. Maybe it's to go to some place far away, hard to reach, where people don't know much about Jesus or know Jesus at all. I have to believe that God is calling some of us out of here. And I also believe this, and I'm not saying this to put a burden on you or try and manipulate you in any way. I do believe one of the many measures to our church and its healthiness is this. Do we see any of our people being called out by God for the sake of the gospel to leave things that are comfortable, things that are normal, things that are typical, to leave where they are and go somewhere else for the sake of the gospel? Now, I'm not saying that's end-all, be-all, so don't see these as conflicting messages. One thing I'm, I'm increasingly certain of, and, I, and I'm sure you are too in your conversations with people, is we live in an increasingly post-Christian age. What's happening on the rest of the planet, we're not immune to. Now, we live in this supposed Bible Belt today, which can sometimes give the facade of Christianity among us, but there are plenty of people that you know that may say they're Christian, but could not tell you what the gospel really is, could not explain to you how they truly got saved and show no evidence of transformation by Christ. No, the mission field and the harvest is right in front of us. But I also believe that there are plenty of us, and when I say us, maybe in this church and churches like ours, that need to be accepting the call of God to go plant a church, become a pastor, become a missionary, something else in what you're doing right now. Listen, God can use you where you are, but God also, and we see this throughout history, since the formation of the church in the book of Acts, God calls out people to go somewhere else. And when those people don't go, God also has this interesting uh, tactic, this interesting strategic tool that he uses sometimes to send us there. Hardship, difficulty, persecution. God has a way of getting his people where he wants them to be. And I'm just thinking maybe some of you, God is calling you to go to a different place. All right, now, here's a challenge, here's the key. If it's here or if it's there, wherever it is, we have to be intentional about it. We've got to be on mission. We've got to say, okay, all right, this is who I am. This is what I'm here for, so how do I do it? How do I do this better? And I want to share with you this passage this morning from Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray about that. Father, as we read that challenge and hear those commands, we have to acknowledge that we are guilty of not doing so much of that, not praying or not praying as we should or for the things that we should pray for, not being wise towards outsiders, not being engaging, connecting intensely with them, not opening our mouths, not speaking with clarity, oftentimes not speaking at all, being fearful instead of bold, being indifferent instead of compassionate. Father, being selfish instead of serving your purposes in this world and missing out, missing out 
on being your ambassador. So, Father, move us, challenge us, not just, not just information to be downloaded today, Father, but transformation to take place. Lord, that's my prayer. Move us, change us. Move us beyond just feeling badly about not doing or feeling encouraged to begin doing. Equip us. Send us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are three diagnostic questions for each of us from this text. They just jump off the pages, I think. First one is this. Am I praying for gospel opportunities on the regular? Is that part of the routine of my my praying? My quiet time, getting up in the morning? Am I praying that as I start this day or as I go about stuff this week, am I praying for these gospel opportunities? Because that's what what Paul said. That's what Paul asked for. Paul said, pray for us. Uh, continue steadfastly. You know, in other words, this is, a, this is a consistent thing we pray for. This is not a once-in-a-while thing. This is not the annual missions conference prayer. This is not the occasional Sunday morning message emphasis prayer. This is just the on-the-regular prayer of everyday missionaries. Pray for us with steadfastness, with, with watchfulness, gospel opportunities. God, give me perception, both natural and supernatural, spiritual and physical perception of opportunities around me? Um, Am I praying for them on the regular? Second diagnostic question is this. When they happen, am I recognizing them? Am I seeing them as opportunities? You know, because sometimes we we see situations that are actually God-given gospel opportunities as nuisances or interruptions or causes of frustration, Right? I mean, that, that person, like, well, what's this all about? What's their deal? I don't have time for this today. Or why is this happening today? Or what, what, you know, why this conflict? Or why this issue? Or why this event? Whatever it may be, am I recognizing what's happening in my life as a gospel opportunity, as a God-given opportunity, instead of something else? And third is this. If I'm praying for these things, as the Apostle Paul said, that we ought to be doing. We ought to be doing for him, and they ought to be doing for each other, and the church ought to be doing for itself. If I'm praying for this, if I'm praying for gospel awareness, for the opportunities, I'm asking God, God, bust down the doors. Bust them down. Where it's hard to get the gospel out. In in those nations and places like India, increasingly antagonistic towards the gospel. Not just individually, not just culturally, though both of those things are true. You may find individuals that don't want to hear it. Uh, you may find a pervasive Hindu culture that doesn't want to hear it. Governmentally, it's, it's forbidden to make converts. Listen, that's pervasive everywhere, and it will soon be pervasive here. Not just that. Am I praying in the face of all of that, that God will just bust those doors open, just knock them down so the gospel gets through there, that person that you know, that you say, you know, they don't want to hear this. They're so antagonistic. They're, they're so hard-hearted. They've got so many hurts or issues or so bitter about the church or, you know, their lifestyle has made them um, oppositional or antagonistic towards the church. You know the kind of people I'm talking about. God, bust that door open. God, I'm praying you'll bust that door open to their heart, to their mind, to their life for the sake of the gospel. And when he does, here's the third question. Are you walking through the doors that God is opening See, all that fits together. God, give me opportunity for the gospel. God, open the doors, the ones that are slammed shut with multiple locks and bolts on, the ones I feel like I can't get through. That may be even somebody in your own family, for goodness sake. And then walk through the door that God is opening. God is opening doors. This is why he says pray for these things. Are you praying? Are you recognizing? Are you walking through the doors? 
And then Paul sort of shifts just a little bit his conversation. What do you do when you walk through the door? What do you do when you seize the moment? What do you do when you, when you, you got the opportunity? Like, here it is in front of you. Now what do I do with it? Well, I want to give you some keys to effective gospel conversations. Some keys from this passage. What do I do when God makes an opportunity available to me? When God opens the door to me? Very simple. First one is this. Be clear. When you got the chance to talk about God, to talk about Jesus, to talk about the gospel, to talk about reconciliation, how can a man who is a sinner be reconciled to God who is perfectly holy? How can a God who is perfectly holy and just admit sinful people into his heaven? What does that require? Be clear. Here's a question for you. Can you elevator pitch the gospel? Imagine you're in an elevator with somebody, and you got, you got a minute. you got a minute and a half, two minutes for that elevator ride. I'm not saying that's where you're going to be sharing the gospel because we don't have a lot of places in Dothan that have seven floors, so I get it. But in that amount of time, can you succinctly and clearly say what the gospel is? Now think about this just for yourself. And if you can't, that's, your, that's one of your homework assignments for this week. Can I succinctly say what the gospel is? Because here's the thing. Many people who are Christian cannot. In fact, if I had the time, and, and I didn't want to do this for today for time's sake, and it's a depressing illustration anyway, which I've shared somewhat like this with you before, I could show you from popular Christian books, from major mega churches, gospel statements that are anything but clear, anything but biblical, and here's one of my favorite words I use with you a lot, anything but salvific. You know what I mean by salvific? I mean, if I read that and I understand that and I believe that, will it save me? Will it reconcile me to God? No, not a chance. You and I have to understand clearly what is the gospel. Um, this is a statement we've used in our membership class for new folks over the years. And this is what we say the gospel is. And, and we borrowed this actually rather wholesale um, from one of David Platt's books where he wrote on the gospel. This one might have been, and I can't even remember now. But here's a simple and succinct statement. The gospel is the good news that the just and gracious creator of the universe has looked upon hopelessly sinful men and women and has sent his son Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross, to show his power over sin in the resurrection, so that everyone who turns from their sin in themselves and trusts in Jesus as Savior and Lord will be reconciled to God forever. And you have to memorize that exactly. But do you have the essence of the gospel? That God, gospel begins with God. Who is God and what has he done? Who am I and why do I need what God has done? How has Jesus Christ provided the means for my salvation through his death and resurrection? We have to have this succinct and clear. We have to, when given that moment, be able to say, this is the big picture. And you can't oversimplify it. And you can't dumb it down so much. And it's more than just, do you want to go to heaven when you die? That's like asking a bunch of second grade boys, how many of you like to ride on the fire truck today? Well, Sure. How many of you like to be a race car driver? How many of you want to go to the moon? We all do. I remember teaching vacation Bible school one year here, and part of the curriculum as the pastor, it says, take the different groups through and explain them what baptism is and show them the baptistry. And so we walk over into the sanctuary, and I had a small group of, I don't know, second or third graders with me, maybe a dozen or more, and I, and I said, um, let's go stand in the baptistry. I was hoping it would hold the weight of all of us empty, and it did, thank God. 
And so we all stood in it. So I talked about baptism and what it means. And, you know, in that moment, you got this cool step and this, and this, the only thing that's missing is a slide. You got these neat steps coming in. It's kind of a pool. And it's, we, it was dry, by the way. It wasn't wet. And we're talking about, I thought, you know, in this moment, I could say, how many of you want to be baptized? I could have baptized them all. I could have baptized them all because not a hand wouldn't have gone up. But that's not what we're doing here. We're not saying pray this simple prayer, some sort of insurance. You know, here's your get-out-of-hell-free card. No, let's proclaim the glories of God in Christ, the excellencies of God in Christ, so that whether you're a Muslim in India and the cost for following Christ will be on the temporary great, or whether you're in the U.S. and becoming a Christian as a college student will make you totally at odds with the vast majority of your peers and almost all of your instructors, or whether you're in a secular place, where you won't meet another Christian besides the one who shared the gospel with you, that Jesus is worth it. And every time and every place, the glories of God in Christ are worth it. We've got to be clear. And here's the second part of that statement. I need to go quickly because I see my time is going to run out. I hadn't done this in a while, so forgive me. I'm a little slow. Pray that God will make clear to them what you're saying. This is important, okay? I don't want to minimize this. Pray that what you're saying, God will supernaturally illuminate for their sake because Paul says something interesting here that I don't want you to miss Paul says to declare the mystery of Christ the mystery of Christ a mystery is not a mystery biblically because it's obscure in its meaning it's difficult or nearly impossible to discern or it's something that you know is so contrived you have to figure it out it's a mystery in that no one would know it or understand it unless God made it clear to them. It's a mystery in the sense that we would not know or we would not come up with this plan of reconciliation unless God told us. That's why so many of the world religions, well, all the world religions, apart from faith in Jesus Christ alone, are concocted man-made schemes on how to be reconciled to God. What do you have to do? Well, I have to say these things, or I have to do these five things, or I have to become this or do that. Where else would we find a gospel that says, God becomes man. Where else do you find the gospel of sacrifice and death for sins, uh, a payment made? Where else do you find a gospel of God dying in the place of sinners, of Christ being raised to new life, giving us new life, God reigning in heaven? Where else do you find a gospel that says, whoever you are and whatever you've done, if you will turn from your sins, If you will repent and believe the gospel, God will forgive you and treat you as he treats his own son. Where else will you find a gospel? It would sound sound like heresy in any other religion to say God invites us to share in the glories of his son. We get to be treated like Jesus. Where else do you find a gospel of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, sealing us for glory, empowering us for good? Where else do you find these things? These are the mystery of the gospel, so pray that it's made clear. I'll go faster. Be clear. Number two, be wise. Be wise. Where does wisdom come from biblically? One thing we know for sure, wisdom comes from praying for it, seeking it. God, help me to be wise. When you open the door for me, when the opportunity comes, God, give me wisdom in this moment. Pray for the right words to say. Pray for the right right ways to say those words and the right timing to say them. The right things to say, the right way to say them, and the right timing to say them in. And remember, your aim as an ambassador of Christ God making his appeal through us. Not God waging war with the lost through us. God making his appeal through us. 
You see the difference? My aim, and this is something I have to watch myself, particularly when it's online engagement, my aim is not to win the argument. My aim is to invite the lost son home. My aim is to find the lost sheep and bring them back into the fold. My aim is to find that lost coin and recover it. I'm not trying to defeat them. I'm trying to rescue them. And so we we pray for wisdom. Number three, be opportunistic. Now, I know opportunistic sometimes carries with it a, a negative connotation. But here's what I mean by being opportunistic. Here's a definition for you. Exploiting the chances offered by immediate circumstances. That's what I mean. Exploiting the chances offered by immediate circumstances. Okay, so for you, for me, that means knowing that whatever those circumstances you find yourself in, whether God caused or God allowed, and sometimes there's a fine line between that which God causes or God allows in my life, this is a circumstance that might be an open-door opportunity for the gospel. God is allowing you a unique opportunity through your circumstances to bear witness to Christ. Why do you trust Jesus in sickness or disease through a very difficult diagnosis? Why can you maintain your faith even if you lose a husband or a father or a son? What happens when God takes away something that's valuable to you, yet you persevere in your faith? What happens when you're going through difficulty or hardship? Whatever it may be. So for Paul, how was he opportunistic? I mean, there's a phrase there that's just like, wow, you've got to be kidding me. Paul was suffering a circumstance that for the vast majority of Christians would cause them to be angry at God, doubt God, certainly be disengaged from any missional purposes of God. I mean, I'm in prison here, okay? This is about me now. This is about myself, my misery, my pain. You don't know what I'm going through. Paul said, my imprisonment. He says, I'm in, I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel. Think about that. He didn't mean preaching the gospel put me in prison, though that's partially true. He meant God put me in prison to preach the gospel. You see the difference? He put me in prison to preach the gospel. Maybe he put you in the hospital to preach the gospel. Maybe he took something precious from you to preach the gospel. Maybe he put you in a trying situation or a great situation in order to preach the gospel. Whatever it may be. For you, it might be any of those things. But those are circumstances. Be mindful of those. Be opportunistic. And keep in mind this phrase, as he also says, when it comes to being opportunistic. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Part of being opportunistic is being mindful of urgency. Now, that's, that's a challenge for me because sometimes the relationships that I have, particularly people who are close to me, I will have this tendency because those are sometimes hard ones I get. A close family member or somebody, you know, and you're trying to talk to them and you're going to have this, this internal voice maybe telling you, hey, you got time. It doesn't have to be today. You know, there's going to be another time. And maybe when, you, when everybody gets together at Christmas or Thanksgiving, but be mindful of urgency. I can't shake this phrase. I, I don't know who to attribute it to because I've heard it from a number of people over a number of times. But the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. We think of the gospel as the good news of God in Christ. That God in his love for us sent his son into the world to save us from our sins through his death on the cross and deliver us to a new life through his resurrection. And now he rules in heaven and invites us into an everlasting relationship with him, sealed by his Holy Spirit, if you'll confess your sins and repent and believe in him. 
But that's only good news if he gets there in time. Next, be gracious. He says, be gracious. Think about your gospel conversations. What does it mean to be gracious? And I, I will keep this super simple. This is, not a, you know, this is not a deep dive into gracious conversation, but I think it's true. When you're sharing the gospel with someone, what's your mindset? I hope it's the mindset of one who has received mercy. You know, that humble, um, compassionate mindset. Listen, I'm sharing with you what God has done for me. That's different in a mindset that says, I'm sharing with you why what I believe is intellectually, philosophically superior to what you believe. I'm sharing with you from humility that I know what it means to to hurt or to be lonely or to be purposeless or to be angry or to be full of remorse or regret. I'm sharing with you what it means to, to be drifting or to be materialistic or to be driven by my lust or consumed by sin or whatever it may be. I'm telling you, I understand. I'm sharing with you as one person to another This is what God has done for me. I'm sharing with you compassionate, humble mercy. And then Paul uses this phrase, which is kind of interesting, and we've probably heard some descriptions of it before, but he says, when you're being gracious with everyone, your graciousness, here's a way of understanding it, let your conversation and your words be seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. You know, we we just got back, you know, Cecilia and I are gone this week, and um, we were in... Portugal, and we were in Spain. And so our, our main goal was to see Alex first. That was goal number one. Uh, goal number two was to eat a lot. And so that's what we did. And so we had our mindset on certain things we're going to eat. And trying to describe things that you've eaten. You, you ever do that to someone who's never eaten that, and you're trying to describe what it's like, something that you really love? You're describing it in a way, and if you do it well, like if, if I can really paint a picture of how good this was, and how good it smelled, and how good it tastes, everything, then the result would be I would have you mouth-watering, right? Mouth-watering. Now, maybe a closer-to-home example would be this. If uh, my two dogs are in the kitchen and we're cooking up something, um, I know what mouth-watering for a boxer looks like up close because it means dripping from the jowls, drools. of. I mean, when food is coming to the plate, they start to water, literally. If I'm doing this right, if I'm describing it well, you, it's mouth-watering. You say, oh, man, I'm hungry. And some of you are looking at your watch now like, yeah, I am hungry. Now, you mentioned it. It's, it's mouth-watering. Listen, here's the simple premise here. Can you, have you ever... Describe Jesus to someone that's mouth-watering. Why is he so good to you? That's the point here. I'm not sharing Jesus with you in these abstract terms. I'm not sharing Jesus with you in this simple construct of, you know, here's a, here's a generic statement. I, I'm, I'm not just giving you this simplistic one-finger, two-finger, three-finger thing. I'm telling you from my heart, here's, what's, here's what makes Jesus awesome to me. I want, your, I want your mouth to water for that. I want your mouth to water for forgiveness and peace and joy and, and hope and life. I want your mouth to water for that because that's who Jesus is. Let your speech be seasoned with salt so that what you're sharing, people go, man, I want that. Man, I'm hungry for that. Man, how do I get that? Because that sounds, that sounds so good to me. What, what has Jesus done in your life that makes him so, and I, and I don't mean this trite at all, what has he done in your life that makes him so delicious to you, so desirable to you? That's what you share. That's what you share. This is who Jesus is for me. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with, with passion. Be gracious. And finally, be personal. 
be personal. You know, in the text, he says this. He says, so that you may know how to answer each person. You know, I'm sharing the gospel. I have to remind myself that this person is not a project. Um, This is not a box to be checked. This is not an obligation or a duty. This is a person made in the image of God. This is a person who's going to live a life and have influence with their life over many others and in many others' lives. I mean, this is a person who's going to face judgment one day. This is a person who will know with absolute certainty God one day. They're going to see him face to face. We all will. We'll see him in the judgment. I've got to be personal with them. And if I want to be effective in my conversations with them, I've got to do things that show that I'm trying to get to know them. You know, that I'm, I'm listening to their story. I'm hearing what they have to say. I'm listening to their objections, their, their challenges. I'm not trying to be able to answer everyone. And I can say with humility and graciousness, listen, I can't answer every question. I can't tell you everything. I can help you find the answers and we can look for them together. But I can tell you this. But listen and get to know them. And hear where they're hurting or struggling or doubting or wondering. Or hear where their lives are misguided or they're living for the wrong things or going for the wrong purposes. Hear where they're sad or broken or materialistic or greedy or whatever it may be. Whatever their life is, listen for those things and discern where the gospel speaks and how the gospel speaks to those situations. The successful person who feels like they've got everything in the world. Can you think of how the gospel speaks to that? How we shouldn't trust in uncertain riches? Or how we should build up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt or thieves break through and steal? What about the person who's hurting and feeling alone or abandoned? I mean, the list goes on and on and listen and know them and share the gospel to those points of need. Show how the gospel speaks to life. The gospel is more than about getting us to heaven. It's about changing the reality of our life, changing the experience of life. So be personal with them. So real quick, I'm going to give you a few practical how-tos, and I'm going to fly through these. If intentionality is the value, we've got to be intentional about this, because if not, our busyness, our indifference, our selfishness, whether we acknowledge it or not, it's just the stuff of life, and just the habit we're in of not doing this will prevail. Because right now, if you're not intentional about sharing the gospel, you're in the habit of not doing it. You're in the habit of, whether consciously or subconsciously, not noticing opportunities, not walking through open doors, not being aware of lost people, not opening your mouth. That's your habit. So how do you break that with intentionality over time? So here are some ways to develop the habits of engaging. I'm going to give you just four. Start each day praying about it. Those things that matter that we want God to change our thinking about and our behaviors in, start with prayer. Pray. Pray. Just like this passage that I read to you earlier. Pray. Pray that I'll be watchful. Pray that God will open a door. Pray that God will give me boldness. Listen, I have to pray for that. And I, here's, here's something that just really dawned on me this, this weekend. Um, we were at a, just a monumental cathedral in Madrid, opposite the royal palace. And almost obscure, outside, not inside, but outside to one far corner is a statue about life-size. This was an over-the-top statue. And so from the corner of my eye, I could tell, you know, this is some dude, and I want to know, who is this? Is this some friar, some pope, some 
local character I want to know. And I get over there, and all it says underneath, just four-letter word, just one name, Paul. And you know, no one has done more for the sake of the gospel and church, save Jesus himself. No human being other than the Son of God in history has done more for the advance of the gospel than the Apostle Paul. I mean, I would argue that to my death. The most influential, the most useful, most dynamic Christian of all time. And yet, he prayed for boldness, that he would speak like he ought to speak. I mean, listen, if the, if the person that God used in synagogues and on city steps, if the person that God used in the streets with common people and standing before kings, if the person that endured suffering and hardship and difficulty, almost unprecedented in the New Testament era, needed boldness to speak like he ought to speak, don't you think you do too? I do. I have to pray for that. God, give me what I don't have. So, pray. Start every day with prayer. Next, make a list. If this is going to be more than just a, a, a hope or a wish, then there's got to be something concrete to it. Make a list of the people you intend to share the gospel with them. Who are they? Who are some people right now? And listen, if you can't come up with a list, and pray that God would give you one ASAP. God, help me. I need a list. I need some people. And I say this with all respect to you. It may not be because there aren't any lost people around you. It may be because you become dull of seeing, dull of hearing. Pray. God, give me a list. Number three, learn and practice basic gospel competency. That statement alone is worth the weight of the whole message. It is our responsibility to be competent with the gospel. There's nothing to me so inconsistent with authentic Christian faith than a Christian who cannot tell someone how they got saved themselves and how that person can be saved. There's nothing to me so inconsistent with authentic Christianity than a person who cannot explain or express the gospel. Learn to be competent, basic gospel competency. On February the 12th, I want you to mark this date down. Here in this room, Saturday morning, we're going to do a four-hour workshop, Gospel Conversations. I cannot uh, commend it to you more highly. Uh, we, did this, uh, we did this last year. It was, it was fantastic. For those of you who took part of it, I invite you to come and just do a refresher. For those of you who weren't here, come. It will help you with basic gospel competency. How do I start a conversation? What do I say when the door is open? How can I explain this in three minutes or less? Or how can I share my testimony in a way that's not just storytelling, but it's gospel inviting? Uh, basic gospel competency. I want you to write that down and commit to that date. And here's a fourth way that will begin to build this habit in all of us. Be accountable to somebody about your intentional witness. Be, account be accountable. One of the easiest ways to do that would be if you're in a D group. Share your list with your D group, and then you can begin to pray together. And then when you're sharing that list with your D group and that opportunity comes up and you share the gospel with somebody that's on that list that they've been praying for, share that with them. Or ask your D group to pray for you. Pray that I would be bold to share the gospel with Phil at work. Or share it in your life group. Or if you have a, a close relationship with another Christian or a couple other Christians, share it with them. Share it with somebody. I'm praying that God would give you an opportunity to share the gospel with my brother, my cousin, my neighbor, my friend, my coworker, etc., First name is so-and-so, pray for me. And then if, if you're the person that someone shares it to, the whole accountability process falls 
uh, apart if you don't ask them at some point, hey, how's it going? Have you shared the gospel yet? I've been praying for you. Anything happening? You, you had, a, had a conversation with Phil at work yet? Whatever it may be, with, accountable, with accountability. So here's your missional challenge this week, and I bet you know what it is. One intentional gospel conversation this week. Commit to God in prayer, knowing that if you ask, He's going to show you opportunities. He's going to give you open doors. That's what you're praying for, expecting. Commit to one intentional gospel conversation this week. And then next week, you're going to make the same commitment. And then the following week, you're going to make it. And you're going to keep making that commitment until that just becomes what you do. And you're looking for them. And you're growing more comfortable in them. And you're more consistent with them. So this week, will you commit to at least one gospel conversation? And then, when you have it, share that experience. Share it with a close friend. Share it with your D group. Share it in your life group. Hey, I shared the gospel this week with so-and-so. Here's what happened. I'm telling you, that, that will raise a bar for us all. Uh, that rising tide will float all the ships in this room for the glory of God, for the salvation of many. I want you to commit to that. I'm going to ask you if you pray with me this morning. Just everybody all over this room, let's just take a moment. Let's talk to God about what we're going to do and what he's asking us to do. And Christian, here's your assignment as you pray right now. Okay, God, what now? With what I've heard, what now? What do you want me to do with what I've heard? God, make me a doer of this word today, not a hearer only. What do I need to do? God, show me what to do. If it's changing my attitude, then do that. If it's softening my heart, then do that. If it's giving me more boldness, then do that. If it's praying just the words of that text, um, God, God, give me clarity so I can say what I ought to say. Give me wisdom so I, I know not only what to say, but when to say it and how to say it. Um, help me to know that person and care for them. Or maybe you're just praying for God to do something amazing like busting down some doors where you found nothing but, but opposition. I, I can't get through here. God, they don't want to hear that. You know, it's like this wall. God, bust that door down. Will you begin to pray? If you're a Christian, begin to pray right now. If you're not a Christian, listen to me. Your response is totally different here. I know I've sort of been talking around you, but let me speak now to you. There's not a more important message you're ever going to hear in your life than this. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. You may not feel it directly, but you are in a, con a condition right now of adversity. You're an adversary of God, and He with you. You're His enemy because of sin. The great God of this world, the creator of everything, the maker of all that is, the great judge of all of mankind, the one who sets everything in motion and every law in place, physical, spiritual, you have sinned against him. That's different than wronging a friend. That, that's different than committing a crime. Uh, that, that's different than just feeling guilty for not being a good person. You've sinned against the Almighty, and the Bible makes it crystal clear that sins against God receive the punishment of death, eternal death. But it's not just death physically. It's the eternal conscious punishment of lostness, of separation from God, of not being reconciled. And we all are in that condition. It's our nature to be sinners, and it's the practice of us all to be sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news that destroys that bad news is this. But God loved this world so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, 
that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Be reconciled to God. You can be reconciled to God. That's the mystery of the gospel, that we who were such sinners can be forgiven completely and treated as if we never sinned, as if we were God. Remember the verse you heard a little while ago in the service? He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us so that we, all the sinners, might become the righteousness of God in him. That our lives could be exchanged for his life, his perfection, his sinlessness. The life he lived could become the life that we're judged by. So that when you stand before God and I stand before God, it's not every secret and every thought and every word and every deed of my life exposed for the sinfulness that it is. God looks on me and sees Christ who has covered my sins. And I am reconciled to him. I'm made right to him by faith. I believe it. I trust it. I put my life on the line for that. I stake everything on that. I've trusted you, Jesus, for forgiveness of my sins. I belong to you. Faith alone. In Christ alone, by his grace alone. That's what God's word says. That's what scripture teaches. That's where God's glory is found. You can be reconciled to God. If you're not a believer yet today, don't walk out of here at odds with God. I implore you, as God's ambassador, God is making an appeal right now through me to you. Be reconciled to God. And if that's you, need that reconciliation. Just a moment. We're all going to be standing and singing and responding and praying. There'll be a few pastors standing here. Please come and take one of us by the hand, speak to us, and let us let us lead you to reconciliation today. You can walk out of here reconciled to God. Father, move our hearts, our wills, our actions to please you, to bring you glory. I pray in Jesus' name.